Hey everyone, welcome to Gaza Eden. Today's guest is Josie Norton, and today's episode is a season finale. Very briefly, I just want to say thank you to anybody that's listened to an episode of season four of Gods of Eden. It's been an absolutely incredible four and a half months. Just cannot be more thankful for now 15 guests and them sharing their stories and their journeys. And yeah, I just extremely filled with just appreciation and gratitude for what I've been able to be a part of over the past four and a half months. Josie has her own charity where she was a co-founder and she's the current CEO and it's called Choose Love. It's an amazing charity that looks to provide humanitarian aid for refugees. They've done some incredible work which you'll learn about in this episode. And I think one thing that I was immediately drawn to when I was fortunate enough to meet Josie a few years ago was just how affable and kind she was. She runs her business that way from a place of compassion and kindness and that's something I was really drawn to and intrigued by just an incredible story and I absolutely love this conversation I just cannot recommend the work that she does enough and the human being that she is enough if you check out the show notes you can see how to support choose love and I I urge you to do so um I love the work that they do and yeah I'm just extremely grateful for Josie's time and energy because at the moment everything that's happening in Afghanistan has just meant that her time's extremely precious so for her to give her give up some of that time to speak to me is something that I don't take lightly and yeah once again I just I'm highly highly appreciative of but for one last time for season four without further ado three two one let's go Hey Josie, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing very good. One thing I do feel bad about, which I didn't say before this, was that I've got my Choose Love t-shirts like right here and I've not worn one. I feel very bad. <gasps> oh, well, the fact that you've got it right there means everything. So thank you very much for buying one. It's, it's within arm's reach, just here. <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good, thank you. I, it's been um, a really busy week at Choose Love it's always a busy week at Choose Love um the organization has been doing what we can to respond to what's happening in Afghanistan so um we've been overwhelmed by public support and heartbroken at the situation and um yeah it's been been busy but I I am good good well I'm glad you're good um and I'm going to start with the first question so I have a Spotify playlist which is the Gods of Eden soundtrack and Uh what it is is that each guest gives me one song that reminds them of a positive memory or just makes them feel good. So Josie, can you please give me a song that either reminds you of a positive memory or makes you feel good? Oh gosh, it's such a good question. And there's so many different songs. So uh, it's hard to pick the best one, but I I am going to pick, maybe it's a bit cheesy, but I'm going to pick Wanna Be by the Spice Girls. Oh, I love it. Yeah, because um, that was, you know, when I started secondary school, me and my like best friends, we just like loved them so much and spent all our spare time video recording ourselves performing as them and we knew all the dance moves and Spice Girls just felt like that, I don't know, made us believe that we could we could be whoever we wanted to be. And um, yeah, and I, I you know, that those are such happy memories of me and my friends at that time. Kind of the turn of the age of innocence 
So that's the song I'm going to pick. That's an absolute belter. I'm a very big fan. So that <laughs> that lives on the Gods of Eden soundtrack playlist, which is the Spotify playlist, and that lives in the show notes for those of you that are listening. Right, Josie, how do you remember your childhood growing up, and what was a young Josie like growing up? Mm. Um, I sometimes freak out that I can't remember my childhood enough. I don't know if other people get that. I like feel like I need to write everything down or something because the memories are feeling more and more distant. Um, but I had, I was very lucky, had a, had a, had a lovely childhood and, uh, it was spent a lot of time and, you know, before, before mobile phones and just, just before the internet came out, kind of the internet came out as I became a teenager, but so it was pretty, pretty innocent. And, um, I was, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I was very like, I want to do something bigger than where I am I was from I moved we moved a lot as a kid but always kind of around the same area and it was quite countryfied which was amazing in retrospect but at the time I was like I want the big bright lights of the city and I wanted I felt frustrated by the rules of school and I I wanted I just I want I wanted more and um and now I kind of look back and feel like I didn't make the most of what I had but I'm sure I think that's kind of what everybody does isn't it youth is wasted on the young yeah and I guess there's an element of romanticizing maybe what you don't have there's a a small element of like grass is green on the other side yeah exactly it's so true (laughs) and um something I was intrigued by because it's very rare that I get to speak to someone that's built what you've built and yeah just gone down this path of just an amazing trail of helping people and I was wondering is there was there any signs of it from your childhood that you remember where you were like oh that makes a lot of sense now with the work that I do now that the way that you were so I I as a kid I was very um like passionate about things and I like to have like deep and meaningful conversations and I did I had a really amazing school teacher who got us to write letters for Amnesty International and kind of tried to educate us about the world. And I I was quite into everything she was exposing us to, Um, but I wasn't that good at following through. So I was quite, (laughs) I think I did like a charity, it actually haunts me to this day (laughs) that I did like a charity collection at school and I never ended up putting the money in the, in the way you needed to put it to cash (laughs) it to the charity. And I, I, yeah, I, I was a bit like dream, dreamy, I guess. But I had I had intended that I, I wanted to like maybe work for the UN or something like that when I was a, a teenager. But I I ended up dropping out of university and uh, like a mixture of mental health reasons, but also because I just wanted to work in a bar and have a fun time in Camden. And and then I thought that I'd kind of I'd I'd like messed up um, that 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 dream and that path and um and life has a funny way of of having other plans for you and so it did end up that that I've ended up doing this and and in 2015 through a just a total accident ended up starting help refugees which is now choose love but I even with that I never intended to start an organization I never intended to be the CEO of it I never intended to still be doing this six years later it's all just kind of happened um but there, there were there were signs that I I I cared to want to do something. But um, yeah, it's it's very much a surprise to me that that 
the organization is in the position it is yeah i mean we will get into it the the, the amazing work that you do um i'm actually really intrigued because so the one one theme there i guess that me and you have in common is both dropping out of university so <laughs> um and i felt like mine was there was an element of like death by a million paper cuts with just every single family member had to have their one-on-one conversation about how disappointed they were that I dropped out of university and yeah it just felt like yeah I'm kind of over it now I'm going to try and build a life outside of it but yeah how did you find that process of dropping out of university because I found it really challenging and it's there's just that element of dread when you know that you're going to and you're like Mm. oh god like I know that I'm going to do it and have to explain it to my mom and my dad and just other family but how did you find the process of dropping out of university and do you kind of look back now and go oh it actually is like probably better for Josie the adult now than maybe at the time there was like oh god yeah I don't know um in terms of people just being like this is such a bad decision (laughs) it's really annoying when people say say those things yeah yeah. and I'm I'm glad that we we have this in common (laughs) um I I I think it's uh I think university is incredible and amazing and in retrospect I probably wish I had understood how lucky I was to have that access to education but I do also think that it's quite we're just told like this is the route that you have to take and you're going to do your a-levels and then you're going to go to university and then you're going to have a job and that's going to be your job forever and and that you're just like expected to do all of those things and you're so young actually at that time I like look back now and like but just a baby and and it's, it's okay to mess up and it's okay to make different decisions and it's okay to change your mind about what you want to do and I I I I mean I found dropping out of university hard because I wasn't really okay Mm. so I I I managed to finish my first year and then in my second year I was really really struggling and just got to the point where I just could I couldn't finish the year so I I um I, I I I I said I'll come back the year the year after and I, I'm more thinking people were trying to have those conversations with me, but I just was like, I'm, I am going to swear now. We talked about swearing yeah. before we started recording, <laughs> but I was just like, fuck off to everyone. Yeah. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how I feel. Mm. You don't know how hard everything is. I just can't do it, which I couldn't. Um, and so I ended up kind of taking the summer off and then I went back to, to repeat my second year. But again, I got like four or five months in. I just couldn't, it just... I just couldn't do it. And, um, and yeah, and I, I, I was for the, for a while, like this is this, you know, I, I just wasn't listening to anyone. And then I think I did be start to be like, when I started to sort myself out a bit, I was like, ah, oh dear, what have I done? And I'd wasted all that student loan money. And, um, but, but like life is a very good university and, and actually, yes, now I, I learned so many lessons by going through that. I appreciate things in a different way. I've like, I've learned to look at myself in a different way. And then all the experiences that I had after that, I wouldn't have ended up working in the music industry. I wouldn't have ended up knowing so many influential people in London that I did that when, when this moment started, um, in 2015 when I wanted to do something to help actually the network that I had and in, in some ways the like naivety about what was possible is what led 
is what enabled the organization to grow more than a degree would have done. But I, I do also, I think maybe one day in my life, I'd like to, to finish a degree to prove to myself that I, that I, I can, but I, I think we're all, we're all on journeys and what's meant to happen is, is meant to happen. And we, we become the people, people we are through that. So I don't know about you. Do you, do you, do you feel similarly? Yeah. And we have a really similar transition story. I had a, I had a bad back injury in my second year and then I did the same as you. So I had the time to recover, which was about a year. And in that year, I kind of knew deep. I knew before I'd even gone back, I was like, yeah, there's no fucking way I'm getting through this like third year. And then, yeah, as I kind of transitioned out, maybe initially I was like, oh God, this sucks. But I think a little bit like yourself, like I, there's a mini badge of honor in there in terms of, I kind of bet on myself and ended up doing okay as as far yeah. as it goes. And then, yeah, there's still a little part of me that would like to get it somewhat to myself and somewhat as like a, mi- a, a kind of metaphorical middle finger to the people that were like, <laughs> oh God, you've ruined your life, da 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 and all these different yeah. bits and bobs. So yeah, I think 100%, a lot of what you've said is kind of resonates with me and I empathize with and relate to I think yeah the only difference is a year really in the grand (laughs) scheme of things is that I got three quarters through my second year and then kind of sat out and then came back and yeah just found it extremely challenging to get the motivation to get back into it and yeah yeah and deep down probably was just like oh god I don't think I've got it internally just the motivation to kind of give this another crack so yeah it's hard and it's so structured and people learn in different ways and I'm still like I'm not uh I'm not a very I'm not good at like excel spreadsheets and I'm not (laughs) I'm I'm always I guess like thinking in I mean it's thinking a visionary way and so I find that like being so tied to a to a schedule and an exact way of doing things is like I'm not I'm not that good at that I'm quite dyslexic as well and um, so luckily there are other people in the organization who are, who are good at that <laughs> because I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, yeah, I think the thing that I was most proficient at was drinking at university. So I think that, Me was, one, too. <laughs> <laughs> that was one thing that I managed to attend a hundred percent, not so much Me, the lectures. Me too. I got first for that. Yeah. 100, <laughs> 100%. Um, you talk about working in the music industry. So this, this is very interesting in my head because obviously when I do the prep work for this, I kind of imagine your life as like a mini timeline as much as I can. And I try and okay. fill as many of it as much as possible in terms of for my own understanding. But I've got a kind of a double header question because you end up working as a PA to the band Coldplay, which is yes. awesome. And then, so I kind of want to know the timeline in terms of you leaving university and what leads to you getting that job. And then can you speak to the importance of the role in terms of what it gave you as you transitioned into finding health refugees at the time, but what would turn into choose love? (laughs) Um, So I, I actually from a young age was like pretty determined to, to earn my own money and um, so I think I started babysitting when I was like 11, which I'm pretty sure isn't legal. Um, but then I worked, I did like, I used to hand out flyers for dry cleaners. 
I worked in Pizza Express for a very long number of years. I used to work for like different um, agencies where you would go and do a, events at places and serve the drinks and waitress at different like private parties and stuff. And uh, so when I went when I went to university, I was working at Pizza Express in London, but I was also working in like I used to do the door at different places and uh, all sorts of stuff. And then I got this job at a pub in Camden because my halls were in Camden it was called the Holy Arms mm -hmm. and it was a pub where like Amy Winehouse went and the Mighty Boosh was just becoming a big thing at that time yeah. they were there and Razorlight and it was just around the corner from MTV so there would be like Nick Grimshaw was in there just as he was starting out and Alexa Chung and all of these different people and that I was like I was super into music I loved the like all the gigs and so I just got very into that like music scene mm -hmm. um but also really I really enjoyed like working in bars and restaurants and stuff and so when I left university I stayed working in that in that pub but I was also doing the door at different club nights and uh but I I didn't realize what I was also doing at that time was building up a uh, network and um and and partying quite a lot and um and then when I got to like 25 uh I was a bit like shit I've actually just like wasted the first half of my 20s <laughs> and um realized I needed to get a more proper job uh and I got a job doing music licensing at Endemol which is a tv production company they did like Big Brother and oh, okay, um yeah, yeah. but they also did cool drama they did loads of really cool stuff um, so it was amazing, um, a, like really great job. And I learned so, so much. And um, I was there for uh, a good couple of years. And I also was a nanny as well in my spare time. And um, then when uh, I, I have been there like two and a half years and a, a friend of mine who had worked also in the pub, who now she worked in music management for another big artist, she mentioned that there was a job going. Oh. um a Coldplay and so I, I went for this interview and I didn't expect to get it but I I did and there was part there, there were a lot of kids around at that time so I think that the fact that I'd done I had an understanding of music but I also knew how to work with kids and stuff was uh was helpful mm. and um and then it was just an absolute dream come true to get to work with Coldplay and um and yeah I, I learned so 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 very much so my my boss was their creative director slash manager phil uh -huh. and um he is an, an incredible wonderful human being and i just i learned so much about like how you deal with people with kindness and respect i learned about how some such a big global operation can work from a kind of like small nucle nucleus i learned about touring i learned about logistics i learned about creative i learned about press I learned about, um, I, they do so much for charity. So I learned quite a lot about, about the charitable sector as well. Um, so I just, I learned, I learned loads and was really, really, really lucky to be exposed to, to everything that I was there. And then in 2015, um, which was when a million people arrived in Europe seeking sanctuary, uh, I'd actually got to move to LA with the band and, um, but I had come home in the summer and I so I was here in London and I just I felt so heart, heartbroken seeing all the pictures on the news and um and just felt like had to do something and I'd been I was like quite a person that used to put like 
statuses on Facebook that were like petitions and I hadn't even signed them or articles and I hadn't read them. It was quite bad. <laughs> and um, I, uh, yeah, I just said I wanted to do something to help and to some friends at lunch. And uh, before we knew it, we'd raised 56,000 pounds. We'd started an Amazon wish list, and so many people were buying items and then sending them to a big storage who, had, who I'd gone and asked if they would give a free room at lunchtime. Um, and, and, and everything kind of snowballed from there. But I genuinely think that having done so many different jobs and um, like, and then also having been a PA where you just have to make things happen and you have to find a way. Though all of those things, even sometimes I think being able to pull a pint, close the fridge and um, be yeah. doing a credit card transaction at the same time, it was so helpful for being able to like do a million things at once. And yeah, I just, I, I felt, I felt there were so many different things needed in order to get an organization to, to start off the ground and to respond to things in the way that we did. And I felt like having all of those skills um, was so, so, so helpful. I should also say that it was very much a movement and there were just people appearing from all walks of life when, when the organization started who had all the relevant skills that were needed and we worked with partner organizations so it's very much this is like lots of different people with all different skills from all different backgrounds creating the work that the organization is um able to umbrella i love it and i do believe there is something to bar work that gave me a lot that i i was just momentarily thinking I was like when you're talking about pulling a pine and a credit card and shutting the fridge <laughs> yeah I do think it's it did give me a lot of skills actually that I kind of maybe don't realize I even even something as like dealing with drunk people it gives you like an idea of like patience and empathy and it does yeah yeah I um yeah sounds yeah it does on face you're like how does the bar work help do anything but I just think no, yeah, but it does. Yeah, there's so many random things that I'm like, oh yeah, I probably learned that behind a bar. Definitely. Yeah. So I um yeah, completely agree. And I just yeah, I just want to delve into this these early days of help refugees colon choose love because there's a a lot of people post statuses, articles, petitions. A lot of people have an attachment to a mission or have this like really deep connection, like an em an empathy connection with, with all different types of things. And I actually think it's probably been one thing in the past, like 18 months in particular, that's been quite sweet to see like people's empathy for certain causes. So, but a lot of like myself, I might sign a petition or I might do this. I don't, I can't even comprehend the idea of that transition from empathy to do something like donating all these different things to yeah we're just going to build a massive charity that this ends up growing into what choose love has so i kind of want to just delve into those early days of help refugees what how was that experience of building it and being a co-founder and now a ceo i don't know if that was always the case and yeah just describe that time in your life i can imagine it's just really exciting and a lot's going on but how was it building a charity and then just the snowball like you've described of like first it was raising money and then all of a sudden it's getting a big yellow self storage and all these different things how was that experience at that time it was insane yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it was a to it was totally mad and uh actually such a privilege and but you know was a 
I think I said before, you know, none of none of this was ever intentional. And um, it, I think we got called once like, accidental activists and it very much um, that very much was the case. And yeah. so it was initially just trying to raise a thousand pounds on one van load of tents and sleeping bags to take to Calais and all of France. And then before we knew it, the crowdfunder was fifty six thousand pounds. And before we knew it, so many people said that they had tents and sleeping bags. So I was like, well, where are we going to put all of this stuff? Oh, I'll go and ask at a big yellow storage in my lunch break because they'll <laughs> give us a room. And then, oh, well, now we have this address. We can put that on Instagram. And then, oh, my God, there's so much stuff arriving. And then they're like, oh, Amazon have called. There's 7,000 packages going to arrive tomorrow. Oh, right. We're, we're going to need volunteers to put that away. That's a return to Twitter and luckily Dawn and Liana had big uh, Twitter followings and so pe- people but people showed up and then and then we suddenly had all of this stuff and this money and it just it was really it's, it was so sweet lots of people when they were sending stuff in they'd like write handwritten letters and stuff and then you felt the weight of responsibility of like people have really trusted us and we don't don't even really know where this is gonna go um and so went to Calais because wanted to make sure we found the right organization to give it to. But when we got there, um, you know, I never expected to see a site like, like that in my life. There were 5,000 people living in a field with, with, with nothing. Mm. Um, and it was so shocking that governments were not, the UK government, the French government was not responding, was allowing this to happen. And then human beings are amazing. Ordinary people were stepping up to try and help, but, there, there wasn't a co- kind of coordinated effort per se and lots of people from the UK were just driving over there opening the boot of their car they hadn't looked to see what items were needed all that kind of thing um, and we met some of the smaller French organizations who were who were responding and one in particular Lauberge de Migrant said they needed a warehouse um, and they needed to start a shelter building program and then before we knew it we had partnered up with them um, because you just couldn't unsee what you've seen. I never expected mm. to see, you know, meet an unaccompanied child or see kids without a nappy and, and families living in a tent or if they had a tent at all um, on our doorstep. So you could, couldn't just go home and forget about it. Um, so, so then we had rented a warehouse. We started a distribution system. We were writing on Facebook asking if people could build shelters. And there were other small organizations or individuals who would later set up organizations who began working. And we were in this lucky position of of understanding how to use social media and having a network and being able to raise funds and and then use that for our own operations but also give them to to other organizations who are working and then it just the the need the need was like endless that camp grew to 10,000 people we were getting plugged into a volunteer network that was all throughout Europe there were 10,000 people arriving a day in in Greece so so there's just like if if you had the if you had the know-how of how to how to raise more money to get it to the people who needed it why why would you not do that um and it became all 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 consuming in a in a in a lot of ways and um and that emergency went on for a long time so i mean it's still happening now um so so that so that's why we're why we're still here and it has only been in the last few years that there's really been like like they're taking stock of wow this is a proper organization and it needs to professionalize and as a charity, you always want to put your, you don't want to exist. Um, so you're in the yeah. beginning, you're like, we're going to put ourselves out of business or actually like the powers that be are going to realize like that they have to do something better than this yeah. um, and they'll come along and, and fix it. But that hasn't necessarily happened. So 
as long as there is a need for an organization like ours, um, it, it will exist whether I'm a CEO or not. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think there is an element though, like, although you've described it as like almost an accident in terms of just it happening and and then growing from there, there it, it is still symbolic, I think, of who you are. I think the end, just, wow. there's a lot of people that see things and go, oh, that kind of sucks. And even if it hits a, a chord quite long term, being like, yeah, but I don't know if it's like self belief or a a drawing to a mission I don't know but it's this idea of it's just incredible that you took the kind of the onus and was like right well we're just going to figure this out and remaining open-minded being compassionate led I think yeah I just in my head it, it says a lot about who you are and kind of why I was kind of drawn to your story when I finally got to meet you and yeah I although you describe it as yeah, we just kind of happened and kept on going. It's it, it almost feels like you it on my end it feels like doing yourself a disservice because it's yeah. there's millions there's probably millions of people that have had that potential but you you actualized it and it's yeah, it's incredible. Wow, uh, well, that's very kind. Thank no, you. <laughs> no problem at all. Um how was in those early days what was the reaction from like family and friends? Because I can imagine there's an array of like reactions to you posting articles and just asking people to help as you were building what you were building. But did you find it a supportive environment that you had behind you? Did you find it something that in your collective, in terms of the people that founded Help Refugees, it was great, but maybe that kind of degree of separation maybe wasn't but yeah how were your family and friends about you kind of you were growing from a PA with a band that had this amazing job and you were becoming you were kind of blossoming into this leader and a face of like an amazing charity so yeah what was your family and friends reaction to what you were building in those early stages I think they thought I was insane actually (laughs) (laughs) because you have because if you think at the beginning it wasn't um you know it was it it, yeah. it was growing really quickly but it wasn't a big it wasn't like oh you're 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 becoming the ceo yeah. of, a, of a charity it was like what do you what do you mean you're going and spending all of that time in calais or um so it i i think i think people people thought it was quite mad and yeah. didn't and didn't necessarily understand it um, and especially because it was all becoming so politicized at that time. Mm. Um, and I had also, mental health is something that's like come, comes up with me a, a, a lot in my life. And yeah. it was, it was a, a funny, t- it was a funny time where everything felt very crazy. And I think I was, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, it was, it was just a very crazy time. Mm. I don't really know how best to describe it. So mm. I, I think people maybe were a bit worried about me. Yeah. Um, and, but then also very, that very quickly turned to people, I, you know, every, everyone getting involved and everyone helping. And, um, there was such an amazing movement of civil society at that time that I feel very, very lucky and privileged to have been a part of because it, you know, it, we might be well known, but it absolutely wasn't just, just us. It was so many different organizations and so many people and still, still is. 
Um, so that, and I've got to meet some of the most extraordinary people ever. So feel very lucky. I love that. Um, yeah, and as much as you want to delve into this, because that is in, it, it's something that I was thinking about, kind of your ascension with Choose Love now. But um, and I was wondering, how did you find the battle in terms of the process of self care and self preservation, and trying to keep yourself in a positive space when, firstly, you're you're not like a standaway CEO. You're very much in the work that you're doing. So I th- I feel like this is just a this is a potential assumption but the idea of you stay very informed on what's happening like you said with afghanistan at the moment um and unfortunately like you said as a charity you don't want to be in existence you'd rather the issues all be solved but the idea of the emotional and mental battles that come with just being so aware of the pain that people are going through how do you find the balance of being informed remaining empathetic remaining attached to these stories of just like pain really I guess is the I'm oversimplifying it but for kind of processing it but how do you how do you find that balance of staying informed and very much engaged whilst also engaging in self-preservation and just yeah preserving the human being that is Josie to like be happy and positive along the way I mean, you know, I think it's a difficult thing because, you know, this, what, what's happened to these communities that we work with and support and accompany, um, it it hasn't happened to us. Mm. And so whilst we can empathize, we can't ever really truly imagine what it's like to have lost your home and to have had to take, undertake these journeys and leave everything behind or lose family members or have been through what so many people, people have been through and are still going through. And so it always feels um, that if it feels bad to like, even talk about how, how you feel because it's nothing compared to what other people feel and you shouldn't, we don't want to like center ourselves in in that but obviously I can't speak I can't speak for for other people but I can in the beginning and again not just in our organization but in the kind of this civil society response which only had to exist because the the response that should have come from governments or larger NGOs didn't happen um but people people pushed themselves to burnout because it felt it felt like you have to give it every minute of, it, of every day and it's our responsibility to do everything that we can because this is so unfair and it's so unjust and we're privileged and um but then you realize that you know you, you you're no help to anyone if you if you if you push yourself um to that and it's still something that we're learning now and as an organization we've had to do a lot of work on changing that culture of overworking and and pushing yourselves too far mm. um and you do have to unlearn it and you do have to embed self-care and it is important to have therapy and um it is important to take take time and um work normal working hours and um and, and all of those things so it's it's definitely been a it's definitely been a journey and yeah we have we have seen we have seen some some awful, awful things. We have had the most heartbreaking stories, but like I said, it's, it's they they haven't happened to us, and and so all we can do is try and do our very best to to use what privilege we have, what access we have, to to try and change things so that it doesn't happen to more people, and we can do what we can to 
to support those that it has happened to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible in terms of being aware. And I think, I guess there's this element of the eventual goal in everything is like a world peace, kind of everyone being happy, healthy and having the resources that they need. And I guess the the grandiose mission, the very like existential mission is so big that I guess you can easily feel like, oh, time that I'm resting or time that I'm not doing it. Mm. you feel like it's a zero-sum game that it's like yeah. I have to make this investment otherwise I'm not making the investment and it's you you feel like you're chasing yeah. like a you're, you're, yeah. you're making up lost time I guess uh, in fact our, our, in our professionalization we have recently been doing our vision mission and the theory of change and the mission of the organization is a world that chooses love and justice every day for everyone mm. and that is but a, a beautiful mission, but it's a vision, but it's, uh, it's very broad. And, you know, I think we have to, that's what we're working towards. Are we going to achieve that in our lifetimes? Probably not. And you, you have to also, that's what we're working towards, but you have to also accept that you can't be all things to all people. And you, you won't do one thing well, if you try and do everything. Yeah. So you have to like, then within that focus on what, what are the things that we are able to do what are the things that we should do um and let's set ourselves like achievable goals and then move on to the move on to the move on to the next thing um and and you you have to do that otherwise you don't you don't do a good job and you you don't protect protect yourself in order to continue to do the job yeah yeah completely yeah completely agree and i love that mission that mission slash vision that's beautiful (laughs) and it's worded so beautifully as well um So if you don't want to talk about this, please just say um, something that I learned in terms of you were talking about, especially in the past 18 months, we've had these incredibly like challenging 18 months in terms of the world, in terms of, yeah, just everything. This pandemic has given people unique problems, but we've all experienced it as a global, as the world. Mm. Um, But something that I noticed that you had recently was hitting a milestone of 18 months sober Mm. and um i mean firstly a huge huge congratulations because that is an incredible achievement in any 18 months not alone the past 18 months where (laughs) i've probably picked up the alcohol that you haven't drunk but (laughs) (laughs) um how have you found the journey of sobriety and how have you found it's impacted in particular this very challenging kind of you know chapter in all of our lives but yeah how have you found that sobriety's maybe impacted the past 18 months and just yeah battling through what we've all had to battle through as a collective well well no I to- I'm totally happy to talk about all right, it thank god um, <laughs> um I I I very much you know I think even before before the organization began I had I had addiction issues mm. partly why I left university if I look back in retrospect and it's something I've I've re- really always struggled with since I was about 15 mm. um and but but what was really happening is is that I was coping with stress and um and sometimes secondary trauma and yeah. stuff with 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 my addictions and uh as the CEO of a multinational NGO um that really wasn't very responsible and I it just you know it was it was impacting my life in so many different areas my personal life 
it was beginning to impact my professional life and I just knew that that wasn't something that could could go on mm. so I feel very lucky that I I um I managed to find the strength to to do it and I initially did go to to meetings and stuff but it was literally just before covid yeah. um and so that and then and then it was covid and I although some people say it must have been hard in the challenges I think actually for me it was good because uh I didn't have I wasn't at events yeah. I wasn't at dinners uh, I I I got to ha- I got to have that time to get time under my under my belt and uh you know, I, I'm, I'm better at my job. I'm better as a person. I'm, I, yeah, it's, it's one, it's, a, it's hard, but it's definitely one of the best things I've ever done. Um, but it, it, yeah, I, I think like if, if I was a person that could just have one glass of wine at dinner, then that would be really nice. Or at the end of a hard day, just have one glass of wine, but I can't. So for now I'm, I'm on this, on this, journey but um yeah who 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 knows what what the what the future holds but for now it's definitely the right thing for me yeah and it is an incredible achievement I can imagine it's I did a hundred days once just as like wow that's amazing yeah I kind of just um yeah just fancied it I think had a had a think about it and was like I'll give it a go um but it's good that you know that you can you could do it because I definitely couldn't have done just a hundred days. <laughs> I yeah, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had about two pints and was like like steaming. I feel like afterwards. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it takes incredible discipline. It's something that once again, just greatly respect about you, and it's just a yeah, like wow. a bra- a branch off the tree of like the respect I kind of have for you. But oh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna ask one more question before the final four and okay. I'm going to say a lot of nice things. So I hope this isn't too kind of like, oh God, I wish he'd stop. But (laughs) I want to give people like the, have maybe they've heard of Choose Love, but just don't quite comprehend like how impactful it's been. So Choose Love has helped over 120 projects across 15 different countries, raising over $43 million for humanitarian aid. You... Josie, have been a huge integral part of building an organization that improves and saves so many people's lives. In my opinion, you're one of the most impressive women I've had the fortune of meeting, not only for your professional achievements, but the human being that you are as a leader of a global charity. And as you've said, in terms of leading with kindness, leading with empathy, and just, yeah, showing a form of leadership that we maybe don't see all the time. Um, So you've shown what it means to bring kindness to leadership and it's something that I love. And I was wondering, do you ever allow yourself to be reflective of what you've achieved after leaving university, working in pubs, doing PA work with Coldplay and just what you've achieved as a uh, philanthropist and a leader (laughs) and just in general as a founder of something that Look, I think it's incredible. I, like, I've seen Choose Love t-shirts for years. Obviously, I got to meet you at that time in London, near Leicester Square, I believe, but it yeah. was at a, a conference. But, yeah, do you ever allow yourself the time to reflect and be like, oh, fuck, this is actually quite cool what we've ended up building here at <laughs> Choose Love? Um, well, that's very kind. Um, thank you. No worries. Uh, um, people can't see why I'm blushing. <laughs> um, so... Um, but I, I guess, 
you know, I think I did say for, for a good few years, we didn't really take that time to reflect. And it was always just looking forward. What more can we do? Um, and it still is to a degree. But ov- obviously, you know, it's um, it's always it's a difficult thing because it's amazing that the organization is able to do what it's able to do. It's amazing that it's achieved what it's able to achieve. It's always just putting a plaster on on something. And, you know, we try and do work to address root causes and and sometimes we have small wins, but there's there's no big wins as yet. So it, it always feels weird to be like, oh, this is so successful and amazing when it's because people are suffering. Mm. So and because awful things are happening in the world. So that 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 also sits a bit uncomfortably. But it's um, yeah, it, it's I, I always use the word privilege, but it is it's, it's a privilege to do this work. And I feel very lucky to get to 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 be in this in the position that the organization is is in and and the the support that we have from the public is just incredible you know last talking about everything that's been happening in Afghanistan you know we we raised 270,000 pounds in in a week online to support Afghans fleeing um fleeing Afghanistan and we had 60,000 people email their MP using our template and that you know that is collective power that is people power and um so just feel I feel I feel very lucky that um that we get to continue to do this do this work yeah yeah it's um well I just think you're very incredible so I'm gonna leave it at that Uh, but Josie this is the time for you to shamelessly plug whatever you've got going on um okay and shameless being the key word so how can people help choose love how can people keep up to date with the Josie Norton story um <laughs> and yeah what what can people do to kind of support what you've built so far um so they can follow choose love on socials which is at choose love um and you will find out information about what's happening in the world I think it's educating yourself is the first step talking to your friends and family about what's going on and changing hearts and minds is the next step if you if you're able to donating um helps so so much and you can do that either to specific fundraisers that we're doing or our general donate page or we also have an online store www.choose.love and you can go on there and buy like a tent or a pair of child's boots or a, a education pack which is represented by a school bag you buy the item you don't get anything you just the that that money goes on that specific thing in we we buy the items or support the services in the countries um so that's amazing take the advocacy actions write to your mp um you can use our templates or sign petitions you know be an be an active citizen um is the next thing volunteer we don't really have we're not operational anymore so we don't have necessarily volunteer positions and most of our partners because of covid um, especially those abroad haven't either but people can look up their local refugees welcome um you know organization and volunteer with them or it doesn't need to be for refugees just volunteering in in any form is great um and by uh, buying a choose love merch which you can also do on our website so t-shirts hoodies hopefully gonna have hats soon Ooh. so i'm looking forward to seeing you in that yeah i will <laughs> um and that that's the ways that you can you can help really and keep keep updated i love it so people look in the show notes because what josie has just elocuted very very beautifully is living in the show notes so please check it out and please go support an amazing charity um Uh. 
Right, Josie, these are the final four questions. Okay. I ask everybody these questions. They are okay. slightly grandioso life questions. But question number one, Josie, if I gave you a megaphone that spoke to the entire world and you could only share one message, what would it be? Cheers, love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> question number two. What's a personal struggle that you battle with that many people may not know about? Well, I think I'm pretty open and honest about my my personal struggles. So, um, I mean, all my my addiction issues and mental health issues would be mine. All right. Awesome. Number three. What are three personality traits slash characteristics that you would say you've built your life upon up to this point? Uh, I would say uh, smiling. <laughs> um uh optimism and uh uh i don't know what the right like not being afraid of failing oh i like it yeah i like it that's great <laughs> and the last question so this is in all honesty my favorite question to ask anybody okay. um and i've basically got a podcast that allows me to do it so josie many years into the future your time as josie norton is coming to an end the person closest to you can only describe you and your time here on earth in one sentence. What would you hope that would be? Um, maybe I'm going to cop out of it and Ooh. say that, that I chose love. Yeah, I love it. That's great. <laughs> uh, I hope so. I think, yeah, in all, in all aspects of life, I would hope. Oh, I love it. That's amazing. Josie, once again, I know how busy you are. I'm super, super grateful for your time. Um, and yeah, once again, I just love the work that you guys do with Choose Love. Aww. And yeah, you're just fantastic too. So um, I'm extremely grateful. Thank you so much. No, thank you so, so much. And thank you for supporting Choose Love. And thank you for having me on. No worries. And you wrapped up season four in just the perfect way. I'm extremely Aww, grateful. Great. I'm so pleased. Thank you. There were such great questions. No, I really enjoyed it. No problem. All right, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you.